dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Hello, listeners. This is Mother Natalia. Today's episode is Father Michael's, and he walks us through Alive in Christ, which is the ascetical boot camp put on for boys and their dads um, through the eparchy of Phoenix. Um, he goes through the structure of that um, ascetical boot camp of prayer and games and talks. And then he also um, does a mini topic of his own choosing of about um, chastity and invitation to intimacy, specifically invitation from the Lord to intimacy both with him and with others. And um, you also get to hear a brief, extremely esoteric argument between Father Michael and myself about matins and malevins. If you are a hashtag banzer hater, skip ahead about 10 minutes after the end of this introduction. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. Hello, Mother. Good talking to you after being away for a minute and a half. <laughs> it was more than that. You went and made a coffee. I yeah, got I some pecans. Huh? Oh, I should eat. Yeah. That's okay. I haven't eaten anything, but it's it's only 11.30 a.m. my time. Well, there you go. And you I'm can not hungry. Eat after your next meeting. There we go. I had a great, I had a very enlightening um, evangelization moment last night. I mentioned last time that I spent like though I did a bunch of spiritual direction over the phone yesterday. And a shout out to uh, Katie, my spiritual daughter, um, who she never asked, but I was literally like walking in the waves in Santa Monica and Venice. <laughs> Beach while we're doing spiritual direction. I was like in in swimming trunks, walking in the waves. It was amazing. Um, my ADD brain needs needs these kind of things to uh, to do good spiritual direction over the phone since I can't see their their beautiful faces. Um, so anyway, we were walking in the waves and uh, and I was like, man, these waves are getting pretty big. They're getting pretty loud. But she never was like, are you on the beach? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I'm on the beach. Um, but then, so after after like walking along Venice Beach and seeing that side of Los Angeles, um, then I uh, I went to my usual restaurant, brought a book. I'll tell you what, guys, if you can read in a in a restaurant and you'd want to do like evangelization ministry, bar ministry, whatever you call it, coffee shop ministry, um, like bring a book because that that is the easiest way for people to start talking if they want to talk to you. Hmm. And and that's what happened last night. It was I was reading a book. Um, it was a great moment because I ran into a couple of people I'd already met there before and had become kind of acquaintances with. And then uh, these three women are are kind of doing a girls' night out, and they're at the corner of the bar. And so I'm just sitting there, kind of between this another group that I met before and this group, and and you know shaking everybody's hand. And it was just a good a good evening um, of like the community I've made at that restaurant with with servers and owners and bartenders. Anyway, so at one point. Um, how did I the the bartender says something about me? I forget they were doing shots or something like this, and and so then she looks over and she one of the three women just says, "I gotta ask you, like, how are you reading in this bar?" And I said, "Well, I said I honestly need this. Um, I need the distraction." And she says, "She says, oh, do you have ADHD?" And I was like, "Yes, yes, I do." And she's like, "My ex husband and three of my kids." 
all have ADHD mm-hmm. and I could totally imagine them doing this. She says it would drive me crazy. It's like literally she was the way she proposed was like, you don't even need to say anything else. Like I mm-hmm. I completely understand. You don't need to explain why your brain works that way. I've done the research myself. I completely understand it. Anyway, uh she was a born uh Presbyterian, switched to um to Episcopalian and then like she said a few years ago just kind of went spiritual but not religious which is of course is very very common in America and here another one of the women was a practicing Catholic from a parish nearby and the third one uh, like fell away from the church and was just had been very hurt by it so two two of the three were were Catholics one was still practicing one was falling away and one was kind of a um, a deconstructed uh, Protestant if you will and that now spiritual but not religious um, but it was really the the thing that that was that was striking to me was that um, I didn't even have to do any inviting. Mm-hmm. Like they they all three were like, we want to hear you preach. We want to go see where your church is. Like there <laughs> there was a there was this this desire just through conversation. And one of the women was like, I thought I thought she was getting mad at me, and she was getting mad at me because she was she wanted me to do this like. Um, I forget what it's called, but it's just like Native American where you sit around a circle and you you smoke some drug um, and it like enlightens your mind. And she, well, I'm going to do this. And all the excuses oh, it's like I like a spirit um, yeah, quest it's, it's or like, something like that. Right, exactly. And you mm-hmm. sit around a circle, it's very controlled. Anyway, she was a very interesting woman and she, um, she was really... <laughs> <laughs> like try I think she had heard every excuse against it so every time I would start to say something she would be like you're afraid like and then like every single time I would say something she's like you're not going to be addicted I was like I have an addictive personality like I you know and she's like no you're a priest you're sitting here at this bar you're fine and anyway it was and then at the end of it I was like man I this, this may be the one of the three that just doesn't want to interact ever again cuz she just seemed to be mad and then she looked over at her friend she goes this is father michael he's my new best friend <laughs> It's like, oh, okay. This is just how you interact with your friends. Um, but it was, it was again a moment of I'm gl- very glad I have a podcast. I'm very glad I can I can put the podcast out there so people I meet can can you know ca- continue to hear about Jesus and hear about this amazingly beautiful nun who gave up everything you know to 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 live a life of of. Um, of repentance and uh, community with her sisters and love of others and evangelization um, because it's so, it's just so striking. I me. Mean, they always, because I'm the one there, the same woman, the first woman was just like, I cannot believe I'm sitting next to a priest at a bar. Like, I cannot believe this. And I, I'm like, this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. There, there's such an opportunity. So if you're listening and you're priests and you can, you can, if God's given you the grace to handle this and, and the gifts to do it, please just like wear your collar. I, I wear mine open so that it's not like an initial, you know, that's not an initial, um, Way of uh, of like oh well, that's a priest like that they have to ask questions. <laughs> Sorry, that's like <laughs> our version of your. That's our um, version <laughs> of your Catholic stuff loon. Yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> what did we say on Catholic stuff whenever the loon called out? I don't know. Harumph. That's what it was. I think it was it was global thing. Was it harumph or something? It was something very simple. Um, like harumph. Uh, but anyway, I thought I thought what do we do for people like this? Because I told them, I said, let me know before you come because it's an hour and a half long, ancient, ancient ritual, full of ritual. And one was like, oh, I love ritual. I'm like, okay, then you'll be great. But it's still, 
It's the most beautiful thing in the world. It is literally heaven on earth. And yet it is so different from our common experience that, that we need, we need something, we need something that is, um, I'm going to pause real quick. I don't know if this is a confidential <laughs> e- okay, voicemail great. coming in. So say something funny. Yourself. Um, well, I guess I'll give a shout out to the Wynn family because, uh, Carly and James Wynn were here la- a couple nights ago, um, with their, beautiful family. They have eight kids, um, eight kids. And it was really great having them here. Um, and they convicted me because they were talking about listening to, um, Father Will Rupp was here as well. And both Carly and Father Will listen to our podcast sometimes while working out. And I'm just like, how can you people, um, like listen to a podcast while you're working out. I'm like, if if I'm listening to something while I'm working out, I often will just run in silence. But if I'm listening to something, it's because I feel like I'm going to die and I need motivation to get through it. And a podcast is not going to do that for me. So, um, so on my run this morning, I listened to the Lord of Spirits podcast, which I like a lot. So um, shout out to Carly and Father Will because they're holier than me and listen to podcasts while they work out. And um, inspired me to do the same. I was thinking of one of their kids, the Win kids, when you were talking about um, the new best friend thing. Because one of the girls, I was like, this girl is my spirit animal. Um, she's, I don't know, she's probably like four or something, three, something like that. And um, her dad said that uh, after she eats breakfast, she's like, Dad, when is lunch? Um, and I'm like, I get you, girl. So, like, interesting conclusion. So, I was like, we need there. There's, I didn't even have to invite them. There's an intrigue there, and this is why I don't. This is why I ha- I don't even have any second thoughts about the fact that am am I really going out there to evangelize? Mm. Yes, I'm also going out there because I enjoy going out there. I'm also going out there because I enjoy making friends. I enjoy making these connections. And if these women never came to the church. That's why I love the podcast because you never know they may be listening to the podcast. The spirits can be working other ways, but there's something, Sorry. there's something beyond <laughs> that um, that is like there's something very real, and I can trust that that the most that the the spiritual connection that will hopefully last into eternity with people we just meet that that that's going to be our Lord's working on them, and I can just be simple. And 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 love them, and if, if they never show up, that's perfectly fine. We'll just be acquaintances or friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know the spirit's still working, and I don't need to be in full full control of what that looks like. But the fact that they desired to know that aspect of my life after just one conversation was really beautiful. In the way of this is what community looks like. Mm-hmm. We we what we want to actually know what makes other people tick. We want to know what what make what they love, and I think that's just a a really cool. A really cool thing that shows how normal relationships God can use them for for heavenly spiritual realities. It's a great story. All right. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to talk today about um, the Alive in Christ rally that we do every year, and especially mm. particularly this one. Mm-hmm. We finished it up last weekend. Um, and this one is some of the themes just to kind of let people know, um, every, every time we do this, the dads are like, why aren't, why aren't there more people like begging, knocking on the door to come to this? Cause it's, it's such an amazing, amazing weekend. Um, so we're always trying to find new ways of kind of sharing the beauty of it. 
And so with that in mind, but also just because this was one, I had, I had a few very powerful prayer experiences myself during this one. But basically we called the Alive in Christ camp, Alive in Christ ascetical boot camp, um, started by Father Robert Pipta back in probably like 2002 or 2003. I say he started it, but the idea actually came from a bunch of dads in Gallup, New Mexico. And they, they owned a bunch of land and they uh, they had a bunch of kids, and pretty much they were buying land outside of Gallup all together, so that these pieces of lands connected. It started out with um, with one guy named Kent Hodges. Um, may his memory be eternal. He finished a half marathon, then just collapsed and died. He had like a, a three year old son. Um, it was it was absolutely horrible and an, and, a, and a total shock. Um, yeah, but you don't but expect he, someone uh, who just finished a half marathon to just yeah. die. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, God's will be done, whatever. But you know, may his memory be eternal. But the uh, he kind of started. God's will and be it, done, whatever. <laughs> it's a great phrase. <laughs> God's will be done, whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how that's how God wills it. That's how we see it. Like, okay, I'll, I guess I'll accept this. Um, so somebody told me how old his son was the other day, and I was like, oh my gosh, he's like, you know, obviously in college or something like this now. Um, so. So all these dads got together and they said, hey, let's have a camp here. Let's have a Byzantine Catholic camp on our property. We'll put the kids in tents. We'll be in tents. We'll, have, we'll cook outside. We'll, we'll have a shower, uh, shower bags and things like this. We can do showers. So it started that way. And they got the idea, I think, from Regnum Christi or the Legionnaires or someone like this, maybe the Jesuits, I'm not sure, but, but having like a because I think theirs is called Eleven Christ as well, to just have a camp. And, and Father Robert Pipta took it in very Father Robert style, just like, let's make an ascetical boot camp. So everything is very structured, and, and it's, it's kind of hard to do. You don't get much sleep. You don't get much food. You know. Anyway, so, so the way the camp is now, and it, this was, it's been, what, 20 years or so, the way the camp is now, we've kind of found a stride. So we have, we start on Thursday afternoon, we finish up on Sunday around noon. And, and it has the boys who have done, been doing this for a long time have learned what the structure is. So it, it is sponsored by the vocations office. At that time, Father Robert Hood was the vocations director. And, and I, I've, I've even been enlightened in my years of vocations directing about why this camp is sponsored by the vocations office. Because when I took over the vocations office, I wanted the camp to become more explicitly oriented towards vocations. It used mm-hmm. to be just, here's how to become holy, here's how to be, build discipline in your life. And I added a few things when I took over that were a little more explicitly vocations. I'll get to those in a moment. But basically, boys seven to 17 and their dads. If you are, if you are age, if your boy is seven to 10, then you have to go there if you're a dad or have some legal male guardian um, from the parish who, who can, who can be there. Mostly that's just for sometimes boys seven, eight, just miss home, you know, and, and there's mm-hmm. nothing some random dude, a counselor priest is going to be able to say to, to help them. So they need dad to be there or someone they know from the parish at least who's a legal guardian. So uh, if you're seven to 10, you need your dad there. The other ones you don't, um, only because we have plenty of adult guardians the whole time. So Mm -hmm. they arrive and they're put into sections. Sections are um, distinguished distinguished by age. So seven to 10, 11 to 13, and 14 to 17, three sections, alpha, beta, gamma. And then the dads are, are delta. And and so we have like a, a competition among them and easy been, competitions. Sorry, you've been helping with this since you were a seminarian, right? Am I remembering that correct. correctly? Okay. Correct. 
yeah, I wasn't even appreciated. It was just, um, and so that that's when we had the first few in Gallup. We were sleeping in mm-hmm. tents. We were, you know, again using shower bags yeah. for the boys. It was absolutely insane. I remember we'd ha- we'd have a couple dads like, so you'd have the shower bags and you'd have this little shower curtain, right? And you'd send the boy in there, and we were we were short on water. So you're like, okay, here's how you use the shower bags, and then a couple dads would be sitting out, and like. The boy would be like, you got a minute and a half shower, something like that. It wasn't much. Mm-hmm. So the good boy goes in there and then the boy would come out and literally they'd be wearing their swimming trunks and literally from the neck down, they would be clean and their face and head would be just caked in mud. Like they, <laughs> they just pretty much washed from the neck down. The dad's like, all right, go back in there. <laughs> they go back in there and rinse off and there's still like just streaks of mud on their faces. Like, all right, this is how it's going to be. We're boys. We're, we're all going to do this. But, um, now we actually meet at camps where all the boys get rooms, they get bunk beds, um, they have a day of the doors, <clears throat> and and we have food cooked by the camp. Um, we try to travel all over the West United States, a different place every year, so that people are closer to their home parish. So spoiled. Um, I know it, it's it's very different than it was in the beginning, but I, I think the ascetical nature is still there. So mm-hmm. we start out in these sections by age group. We have these competitions. And then a near miracle happens. And that is that we switch from sections into teams. And it's always kind of chaos because you have, you have two leaders who are the head of each section. And so they need to keep on taking attendance, of course, when we move from place to place. But the, but the boys when they're in, in sections are in the, with their own ages and they're brand new to the camp. So it's kind of chaos. It's really hard to kind of keep them in line, to keep them from just not listening and going off and doing their thing. So what we do is we introduce what we call the, the silence sign. And this comes from ancient Greek pagan senates where, where there was what they would do. And I've, I've shared this before when we talk about liturgy. They had a piece of uh, a long piece of cloth and you were given this piece of cloth when you were elected to civic duty. So you were elected to be a representative of the people. That's what it was. You're, we elect someone to represent us. And so you were given this piece of cloth. What they would do then is, is when they were in gathered as a senate they would hold up this piece of cloth as a sign of, I have been elected. Here's the proof I've been elected. So I'm now, I want to speak. So everybody else be quiet. I want to speak on behalf of the people that elected me. So the church has taken this and we've actually stolen it completely from these pagan senates. And, and this piece of cloth has become the, the orarian for subdeacons and deacons. It's become the epicurean, the stole for priests. It's, you know, you, you just wrap it differently for, for deacons and subdeacons, priests and bishops. So for a, a subdeacon, it kind of crosses in the front because he needs to use both hands to wash the bishop's hands, et cetera, to be sacred and to serve. For the deacon, it hangs over one shoulder, the front and the back to look like angel wings. And the deacon in our church holds up the end. It's, it's the most explicit hangover from where we got this from, not hangover, the um, whatever. Rollover? Hold, hold, rollover, whatever it is. Hold, hold over, held out, whatever it is. So we, we, we do it. So when the deacon prays the litanies, he holds this up because he is praying on behalf of the people. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in peace, let us pray to the Lord. Let us pray to the Lord. The deacon represents the people and he's holding up this piece of cloth as he's wearing it over his shoulder because he also represents the angels that go between heaven and earth and, you know, mediate between the two, especially in the Old Testament. So he represents the angels mediating, but he's in a sense chosen by the church and by the people to represent them in prayer. 
And then for the priest, he wears it over both shoulders because it's like um, the oil of anointing that runs down the, the head and the beard of the priest running down to the hem of his garment. And then the bishop wraps it around both shoulders and hangs it in the front like, like, like a lamb because he's the good shepherd, of course. So this is the same piece of cloth. But I like though that the, because the priest um, in confession would have the epitrochelion during the absolution, he would put the epitrochelion over the head of the penitent, um, yep. symbolic of Christ's blood washing away their sins um, because it's a red stole or a purple stole epitrochelion. Um, but then that's kind of beautiful because in that moment, the prayer of absolution, like he's speaking um, for Christ. Um, yeah. So I don't know. That's yeah. Cool. And cause it also represents the old Testament blessing and the authority of the priesthood that mm-hmm. comes from, and so the authority of the priesthood comes from that anointing. So mm-hmm. in a sense, it's the blood of Christ, but it's also like the, in a sense, the anointing oils that have been passed on through the priest because the anointing means you're sent, right? It means you, you have a mission. So your mission is to forgive these sins. You put over the person's head, the anointing oils in a sense are going over them as well. The mission is, is being used for them as well through that Old Testament blessing. So there's obviously so much in all of this. But the way that the, supposedly, I learned from Father Robert, the way that the person in the Senate would hold up that stole is they would hold it between, for some reason, between their thumb and their ring finger. So I don't know if that if if the ring finger was the the finger of power or something. I'm not sure. I mean, all the, all these things have ancient ancient tradition. So you hold it with your thumb and you hold it up like that. So what we do is if we want silence, and this is an, an yet another miracle. When we want silence, we literally you say nothing. You just hold up your hand, touching your thumb and your ring finger together. So it looks kind of like you're making a peace sign with two fingers, but then also you kind of have your, your pinky up as well. And this is the silent sign. So if, if anybody in authority needs silence, you just hold your hand up. You don't say anything. You don't go, shh. You just hold it up. If you, if, as soon as you see someone holding their hand up, you shut up and you hold your hand up too. Be quiet. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's a curse word in some families. Sorry about that, families. Um, you, you, you do silence, you, you close your mouth, you don't say anything and you hold your hand up and then pretty soon everybody has their hand up like that and no one is talking. Mm-hmm. It's a great way of kind of silencing a group, especially of kids. Um, but then the bigger miracle is that we put them in teams and the teams are, are across ages. So seven to 17 years old, you have like, you know, a 70 year old, an, an eight year old, a 10 year old, a 13 year old, and two 14 year olds, so, uh, you know, a one 17 year old, whatever you have, you have these teams. At that point, we also give them t-shirts. So there's each, each team has a different patron saint and each team has their own t-shirt color. And it is amazing once you transition from, a mass of kids according to age to they're all across the age spectrum and they're all wearing the same t-shirt and they all have the same patron saint because like the the order becomes natural. They go from the chaos of kind of arriving there, all these things to having an order that is, that is, and they're invited into by us priests, of course, the dads, but then also they have an adult team leader who's usually 17 or usually 18, 19, 20 years old. Then one of the boys is appointed a captain. So they're kind of taught. So the team leader is, is an authority over them. Of course, he's a guide. Then you have the captain who's invited by the team leader to certain aspects of authority or organization. So usually the team captains are the ones and we say, okay, team captain, raise your hand when all your boys are here. So as soon as he looks, he takes attendance in his mind and he raises his hand. Um, so you have these various authority structures, which I don't know if I'll get this later on, so I'll say it now is one of the things that we love about it being a vocations camp. Because as anybody who studies business will tell you, 
Just because someone is really, really good at their job, say they're an engineer and they're really, really good at engineering, that does not mean you make them boss. Mm-hmm. Like the best engineer among engineers is not the best boss because sometimes leadership skills are different than engineering skills. And just because you're a good engineer does not mean you're, you'll necessarily be a good leader of engineers. Why are you using is, engineering as an example, Father Michael? <laughs> because I have. What are you trying to say? I'm actually, so this is what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of someone who's, do you know, so do you know who am I thinking of? A really good engineer and a really good priest. Um, like it's one and the same priest leader. Yes, there's we we know we we know an engineer, a really good engineer who is also a really good priest and pastor and shepherd of souls, and he has an amazing daughter who we both love, and her name starts with N. Oh yeah yeah. Father yeah. Gregory. Uh-huh. So our Coptic friend, Father Gregory. Uh, I'm I'm just I was only dead. thinking like of the Byzantine priest that we and I'm like I have oh. no idea who you're talking about. Yeah. So yeah. in other words, he he was able to transition from one to the other, but but. But that's that's what we're looking for with the priest. Just because you're the most prayerful person does not mean you make a good priest. Mm-hmm. Just because you you know have the, know the most theology does not mean you're going to be a good priest. Just because you're happy being single in the Roman right, right, does not mean you're going to be a good priest. These are all the things that we tend to think. Oh, you're praying so much, you, you should be a priest. Oh, you're so studious. Oh, you're you you're single. You know, you should be a priest in, in the Roman Church. So, like those things, the the skills necessary of a priest are in a sense all those things, and you need to be able to be a good leader, a good father, etc. Um, so so we start to see in the boys when they're put in leadership positions whether it's the captain when they're uh, when they're still a kid or the leaders when they're a a uh, an adult or when they're a dad or when whatever like you you start to see the leaders emerge and the ones that the boys actually respect you're like okay like not only are you imposing your leadership on the boys but they've in a sense invited you into a leadership position and this is a really good sign up for us in the vocations office when you switch from this chaos to beautiful organized even competitive. I mean, the whole thing's a competition in a sense. So you even see, and co- competition, competitiveness in, in men is, is a good thing in a lot of cases, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you see this desire to be first, and that's why Jesus says, if you want to be the first, you must serve the rest. That implies a desire to be first, right? A desire to be greatest. There's something in that that, that allows us to then say, I'm going to serve the rest. So when you see these servant leaders, you see these boys that want to be competitive, but you see them living that out through diaconia, through service, it's, it's a really, really beautiful thing. Which actually, um, since you brought up Father Gregory, um, that actually reminds me of how the cops, um, how the priests are chosen, yep. right? Because they're just that yep. they're they're chosen and put forth by the people. Mm-hmm. Um, like the um, for the the Coptic Orthodox, they don't like the man doesn't go and say, "I'd like to apply to seminary because I'd like to be a priest," um, or even. I feel like God is asking me to be a priest. It's not even that. It's it's um, very much like the people see this in the man, and they're like, "This is the man that we want to be our priest." Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, and that that is how it. That's why we have the call by name program. Anyway, the, the, there is the church is both east and west. The church is getting better about that. I've noticed here in the Archdiocese of LA, which, by the way, um, congratulations to all the Roman Catholics in this Archdiocese. The Pope just named four new auxiliary bishops at the same time. So they needed four and he gave them all four, like in, in one fell swoop. Um, and and God bless Libby who lost one of her best friends at the seminary who just got made a bishop, um, who used to be a fellow professor at the seminary. Um, she was just venting to me on- Wait, on they, the Archdiocese of LA has four auxiliary bishops? They have five auxiliary bishops. 
but they they were lacking four. Whoa, I didn't know that dioceses dioceses yeah. have more than one auxiliary bishop. So the Archdiocese of LA is is one of the largest, if not the largest, archdiocese in the whole U.S. Okay. So it by people and geography. How do you say the plural of that, or do you just say it fast enough that you don't have to know the difference? You just made that up. <laughs> I can see it in your face. Archdioceses, I think. Okay. okay. Sounds like diseases. I um, know. <laughs> anyway, the uh, so so yes, so um, so we see the authority. And then the the camp is we do a bunch of sports. They do dads versus kids soccer. Um, they do capture the flag. They do um, every day. There's these various sports. There's swimming. There's whatever the camp has as well. You know, archery, paintball, whatever the camp has as well. We'll we'll do that with the boys. Um, but then we have a lot of prayer. So first thing in the morning, we're praying. Last thing before going to bed, we're praying. Um, we teach them things like malebans and paraclesis. And we have a liturgy, of course, on Sunday, we have matins. We actually didn't do matins this year. We have vespers. So we, we there do these- There was no we, matins? There was a maleban, which the is based time? on matins. Father Michael O'Loughlin. <laughs> you know had, that's we, my favorite, and I'm very disappointed in we you. We did first hour every day, Mother, and we had Malevins. It's not about the fact that you prayed. It's that they didn't get to experience the most beautiful of all of our daily liturgical prayer, which is matins, apart from yeah, I, I don't want a seven-year-old to have a meltdown for being in church for three hours. You can abbreviate it. Yeah, we abbreviate in the form of a maleben. We can fight about this later. Is. We can fight about this later. We do don't you know have what to a do it on is, air. Mother, a maleben is. Yes, madness. we prayed one. This we prayed one today at noon. We prayed a maleben <laughs> for you, actually. Oh, thank you. Well, Priests on Fridays, um, on Fridays we pray for a maleben um, for our spiritual fathers and confessors. So we name you all by name. Oh, oh thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I ever get fired from you, I, I'll lose my Friday prayer. Correct. But you'll still be in the list of our <laughs> Wednesdays and Fridays prayer for priests. All right. Well, yet another reason to try to resist getting fired. Um, all right. The uh, so so then we have the prayer. We have the then we have like a bunch of uh, talks. So there's like an educational component too. And my favorite thing about the talks is that at the end we have a um, the very last. Uh, activity they have for points because they get points in one team what we call the team they get icons in this the team of honor but would they we take notes for all the different talks and then there's a trivia at the end so like they're encouraged to remember actually mm, the aspects that's of the really talk fun. so we have talks and then we have a bunch we have kind of trivia of what's called camp leader squares based on hollywood squares it's like a, a trivia about our Byzantine catholic faith um anyway it's really good we at one night we do an all-night vigil where we start with we start with Compline and then the boys, they get up. So one of the teams gets up every hour and, uh, and they just pray through the entire Psalm. So that like we, we have the entire, all 150 Psalms and more are prayed by the boys throughout the night. And the, uh, the alpha boys, in other words, the seven to 10 year olds, they don't do this, but the older boys do. They get up, they pray. So there's somebody in the chapel all night long praying. Um, you know, that one night, I think it's Friday night, we normally do that. Anyway, it, it's real, the boys absolutely love it. We have found that that the level of of discipline and like every moment is planned out, that we line them up for meals and then the the most, the stillest group gets to go first, you know, um, they, if they that want to get up. That checks out with the, it being planned by Father Robert. Exactly. <laughs> if they if they want to get up and go for like to the bathroom during a meal or during liturgy, they have to ask our team leader, not their dad. And we mm-hmm. actually ask the dads, like, please, please 
like if your boy comes up to you and says, "Can I go to the bathroom?" Remind him he needs to ask the team leader. That was mm-hmm. the team leader will will come to you if he's like your boy is just not having it. I, like I, he's not listening to me or something like that. Then of course we'll bring in the dad. Um, but but the dads are really good also, and they're they're kind of off. You know, they're there at everything. They're observing everything. They're talking to each other. But they're the team leaders really become these these leaders, these authorities in life. Are the dads broken into sections as well? And teams? We no, they they have their section, so okay. it's just the dad section. And we used to do we used to do like a couple talks for the dads, but like there's a chastity talk that I give every year that is both for the older boys and the dads. So okay. it's it's the whatever fourteen to seventeen and the dads. Okay. Um, so they they have events like that they're invited to, but. Um, they're also usually asked, those with bo- little boys are asked to kind of help get them in bed. So like mm-hmm. the team and the session leaders are the ones who were like in charge of making sure the boys go to bed on time. But the dads are, we're like, that's a time when we could use some dads, you know, to, to make sure every boy has different rituals and things like that. So dads help with that. Um, but uh, but yes, so they don't, we, we had more things for the dads in the beginning, but we actually found that that even just the social time, like their participation in the other events that the events the boys are doing, and the time they have to talk with each other is probably the, their favorite part. Just because mm-hmm. you rarely meet other dads, especially here in the West, that there's uh, Byzantine churches so few far between that you get to hang out with them, you know. And then um, was Danny Forbes there? Hugh Danny Forbes was there, oh, and I he's love speaking Danny of Danny Forbes. Um, me too. And speaking of Danny Forbes, he has taken on, he has chosen, I didn't even invite him into this, he has taken on the the important responsibility of the one event that is only for dads and no boys is Saturday night, after all the boys are in bed, we find a little location, usually with a fire pit, and Danny brings cigars and whiskey, and we have an amazing dad's night um, and priest night. Um, after all the skits are done, because all the boys perform a skit, they make up a skit based on their patron saint, and it's usually like, okay, take this patron saint and and turn it into a modern day story. It's like mm-hmm. you're you're pretty much like preaching a little homily, right? Here here's it, make make it applicable to today. And this is we have realized that the boys they love for obvious reasons martyr stories mm-hmm. <laughs> because they can reenact a martyrdom mm-hmm. in yep. their skit. And then we also have them at one point they all pause. The boys' as skits are all, very different than the girls' skits. Yes, <laughs> when we have our when we have our girls' skits at girls' camp, it's just very different. We also have the boys, which has become a favorite of mine. We have the boys in the middle of their skit. They have to pause and imitate an icon, and we have to guess which icon it is. So, like, they're all kind of standing in the posture of an icon mm. and saying, "Okay." So they say pause and they say photo, and I take like a photo with my my phone. And then the dads, the dads are the judges. They look at it and say, "What icon is that? Is it Transfiguration?" Because you see three guys on top and the bottom. So fun! Yeah, it's it's, it's really cool. Um, so that's cool too. And then we finish off with this big divine liturgy when the moms and the daughters and everybody else is invited um, and then have a big lunch together. And it turns into absolute chaos again. It's so funny because like uh-huh. it starts with chaos, ends with chaos, but in the middle, it's so structured. We give them more time now because there's a thing called Gaga Ball that I didn't know existed until like three years ago. It's this game that the boys just love. And the camps that we go to usually have a Gaga Ball court. It's like um, like an octagon court with like maybe two foot high walls. And you pretty much have to run around and smack the ball with your your hand and try to hit another kid's legs. So um, it's they the boys 
are obsessed. They're absolutely obsessed. So okay. any free moment they get, they they do gaga ball like if they finish lunch early or things like that. Then oh, they have confessions. Yeah. We have anointing of the sick. We we give them we all give them chotkis the first night so that they can pray their chotki as they're falling asleep when they're waking up. We we make we make them stay in bed from the time we put them to bed until we wake them up. So we're like if you want to stay in bed, you can read your Bible, you can read your book, you can pray your chotki, but you gotta be doing that. So anyway, um it's just an amazing program. Um for boys to find leaders for vocations. And when you see the boys, because like you see the older boys, they automatically start taking ownership of the younger boys. They want to help them, you know, that they want to comfort them, they want to encourage them. They're all on the same team wearing the same t-shirts. And you just you see this very, I'll, I'll even say masculine emergence of of desire to help and to lead and to encourage and to to be competitive. Um, that just absolutely happens naturally. We mm-hmm. we they each have their patron saint Traparia, so they all learn to sing it. They had to memorize it. They're, they're Traparian or Kentuckian, and they they as we're um, doing a procession to the fire pit for the skits, they are they're all singing them and they're in competition. And like while they're walking to lunch, you'll hear each group just on their own singing their Traparia. So mm-hmm. they're like we're walking through these usually Protestant camps, all wearing <laughs> the same color. All these other campers who were just going crazy doing their fun things, and we're like. Singing traparia as we're walking to, to meals, lining up, you know, it, it's just it's a lot of fun. That's so um, So pray for us. But I, I wanted to mention um, a couple things um, about this, Mother. Any other thoughts on that? Um, no, go ahead and keep going. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just thinking of some of the differences and similarities that we have with our girls' mm-hmm. camp, which we have. Actually, I would love to hear that with, without making that too much of a making that too much of a point. Like, oh, look how different they are. Uh, we do that a lot, but um, but what can you share some of those, please? Sure. Well, I mean, a lot of the there are a lot of similarities. If we have, um, we have the prayer services, we have the the talks, we have um, our confession night. The the con- confession night is always um. What probably at the end when we share graces, probably eighty to ninety percent of the girls say this is their favorite part of the whole camp. Um, we do a Thursday to Sunday, um, or have in the past. I don't know if we'll, um, yeah, I don't know going forward, but at least in the past, that's what we've done. And then, um, yeah, one of the nights we have confessions. I think usually Saturday night, and um, we have some. We like set up the chapel really beautifully with. Um, an icon and some candles and things like that, and then have music playing. Um, usually it's like sometimes chant music, sometimes like praise and worship music. Um, but praise and worship music that we've hand picked that, um, like some Andrew Peterson songs and some things that are like just really deeply moving. Um, and then Everyone, we require every girl to talk to a priest, at least, even if they're not going to go to confession. And so we have a list. We have like five or six priests who are hearing confessions. And then for like the 30 girls, um, and then we have them, like when they're ready to go, they'll come to me who has the list, and I'll tell them which priest is open or whatever. Um, And then I check their name um, off the list so that we know um, that they've spoken to someone. And... um, and that's just always like their favorite night of girls camp, um, which is beautiful. But uh, yeah, we have um, one of us shares our vocation story. We have a um, a talk usually by a married couple. And then we have a talk from a young um, man 
who is handpicked, who we think that the girls will be interested in listening to, who's usually a seminarian or um, like a deacon. And um, they talk to the girls about um, theology of the body or like um, basically just why women are worth being loved well and being treated yeah. with um, dignity. And uh, yeah, that's because um, it's like important for girls to hear about chastity um, from a guy sometimes. So, um, we have that as well. So there's a lot of similarities. Some of the differences, um, are just like, um, I don't know, like we require the girls to shower, um, during the time and, um, and like they have to sign up for shower slots. Um, and, uh, it's not, required at boys camp across the street at the shrine. And, but the boys are also like outside all the time and we're having talks like in our monastery and in our chapel. Mm. And yeah. um, anyways, there's just, it's just a, a different, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just different. And we had, we, we have, we often have skits that we have them do. Um, most years we've had a skit. We also have a movie um, usually uh, each year. And then, the movie is like fits the theme of girls camp. And then we kind of unpack the movie in the main talk. And then we also have like discussion groups and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, uh, um, what was I going to say about showering or the movie or, Oh, skits. Yeah. Like one time we had, we did something similar with the saint story. We had them, we assigned each group a parable and we told them to do a modern, reenactment of the parable. Um, Mm. So like the prodigal son was, I think about someone who, I don't know, maybe someone who like their parents gave them this, I don't know. I don't remember what it was, but yeah, some sort of modern day rendition of a parable. We had it really funny. So one year, some of the dads decided that they were going to do like a dad skit in between all the boy skits. Uh, We do a chaperone skit too. And so, like, it started off like the really short ones were just like little things that you learn from like Boy Scout camp, where there's like just a, a little thirty second like a joke almost that they act out. But then they started a few years back, started doing one that kind of makes fun of us clergy. So mm-hmm. like they'll they'll just they'll play one of us and they'll have like a whole story. And the most brilliant one was the Star Wars one back when I took over mm-hmm. and it's just like it was the transition was not good I am not like Father Robert Pipta it it, it was kind of <laughs> a chaotic mess in many ways and um, so, so you they, were they, Luke Skywalker they yes they made I was Luke Skywalker and okay. and pretty much I I could not do anything without the group you know and and every clergy person was somebody else in the Star Wars world who was like going to help me get through this and my brother played me my brother Chris played me so it was oh, that's it, it was it, it was actually really really funny and I, I but it was a message because like of course I love humor and it was like they were pretty much telling me father get your act together and like <laughs> lean on other people but they were doing it through humor and so it it was just it was really really good and really beautiful this year they did one where they had one skit that just they would stop and then they would pick it back up again during the between the next boys oh that's amazing and it was all based on Lord of the Rings and it was all trying to find a new bishop because we've been out we've been without a bishop for so long that's amazing it was it was so good like we we went on this this journey and we had the uh, what do they call it the fellowship of the ring and we're all Uh trying to like find this new bishop and and so we're going on and on. And at first, it's led by Bishop Holmstead, who was our administrator for a long time. He's the one that calls it. So Bishop, he calls this this group together. That's all of the clergy, seminarians, and those who were there. 
some of the leaders. Then we go on this journey and we end, we end at Bishop Kurt. And there's like this one, there's this one dad who like has a totally bald big Ted like he does. And he's like, um, and he's like, oh, Bishop Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> the one to rule them all, like the ring. <laughs> just because he has, he has four like eparchies right eparchies, now. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was, it was, it was really, really brilliant. And then, so then the message at the end of the skit was Bishop Kurt, just in this very like guru voice, goes, "I cannot tell you that you will have a new bishop soon, but I can tell you." Prayer and patience, prayer and patience, <laughs> and I was like, "Boo!" <laughs> We've been praying and patient enough. No, I didn't do that. Um, I did that later on with some of the dads, but yeah, it, it was it was really really good. Um, but before we run out of time, I do want to spend the last eight minutes um, talking about uh, a little bit of my because I think that this has a lot to do with with leadership, which is the alive in Christ way, um, moving towards priesthood. Um, and and kind of what it what it means to to desire leadership, um, and and then also with like a, ending with the spirit of thanksgiving, which you had a couple of things in your last podcast, um, mother that inspired me further. So, just real quick, um, in my in my every year I give the I give a chastity talk to the older boys and to the dads, and I always try to find something you know new, like one one specific theme to talk about. Um, within within the world of chastity, um, because you know we've all heard chastity talks and kind of the the, the run of the mill stuff. So this year I decided to talk about um, uh, like the aspect of invitation. You know, I'm sure you hear a lot about this mother in uh, in theology of the body talks, but there we pretty much. God is not a puppet master. God, he ought, he he gives us. Everything he gives us, his own son Jesus Christ gives us everything. Um, he 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 emptied himself completely. Kenosis is the Greek word. Emptied himself completely on the cross as a gift to us, and he holds nothing back. But but he doesn't force us to receive this gift. Mm-hmm. Um, he invites us to receive the gift. And so so one of the one of the one of the aspects of God, if you will, is is. He is one who invites, and therefore one of the one of the greatest gifts given to us is to receive that invitation and to respond to that invitation. Well, of course, everything that God does, the devil tries to twist, and mm-hmm. the greatest gifts God gives, the devil tries to twist. That's why um, one of the greatest gifts God can ever give is is to be like Him, right? Theosis, to be one with Him, to be like Him, God likeness. Um, we, as, as many of the fathers say, we were created in God's image and likeness. We can never lose his image, but we lost his likeness in the fall. And so we spend our life re- responding to God's invitation to be like him. And so when the devil says to Adam and Eve, you will eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you'll be like God. You know, many have said that that, that tree was a tree of, it was good. It was meant to be eaten from, but we, the Adam and Eve were not ready for it yet. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't handle the responsibility of, of knowing good and evil. As I've said before, some even thought that they were maybe Adam and Eve were children. Mm. You know, that they, they they just had to mature. You know, we 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 keep things from children because they're not ready for it yet. But it is a good thing one day they'll have it. You know, a driver's license. That's a good thing. We don't give it to five year olds, right? Because they would actually <laughs> try to use it, you yeah. know, and they they would hurt themselves and a lot of people. So in the same sense, this is the case. So the devil said, You eat of it, you will be like God, which is true. But they weren't ready to be godly, and so they grasped at it. They they disobeyed God, grasped at it out of pride or envy or whatever it was, and 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 took this. So the devil says, 
I'm going to twist the aspect of invitation um, and and I'm going to turn turn the fact that that it's built into us to respond to invitation, and I'm going to twist it and make it actually bring people further from God. So we've talked about this a little bit before um, about about where where we as men and women perceive invitation where there is no invitation, mm-hmm. and so we we desire intimacy, which is a great gift, and um, and we we even desire you know, inviting others into intimacy. But there's so many ways where where unchastity comes in, where either we want or demand the invitation that has not been given, or there's a partial invitation, but we want it in its fullness. We want the fullness of intimacy or the fullness of self-gift um, in a way that is we are just not ready for yet. This is why um, in you know the Christ and the church says you know save sex until marriage because marriage when that commitment's been made the grace has been distributed the the mystery is being lived in uh, a mystery that is forever that is the proper context when all these other um, smaller invitations to intimacy have happened when you can say now we can give ourselves completely in in time in will in in vulnerability to each other in leading each other through life and in the sexual realm and things like this in other words I can give my Myself completely to you after all these other invitations have found a hold where this can now be lived out um, completely. So this happens, of course, kind of the most stereotypical way, which I don't want to emphasize too much, but in the way of dress. So there are certain ways that that we dress that 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 um, can be perceived in the most basic ways as being an invitation to more physical intimacy. Um, so when I when I look at someone who is in a certain state of undress that my my brain automatically says look they're inviting me into intimacy especially as as father thomas Lloyd and other people theology body have said you know what the way that the way that fashion designers sometimes design clothes is to make it look like those clothes are coming off right mm-hmm. and normally in in a healthy relationship when clothes are coming off in front of you it's an invitation it's an invitation to intimacy um and so when we when our brains perceive that in a very huge Human basic way, you know, we need to tell ourselves if we're a chaste person, we need to tell ourselves that is not an invitation. You know, what 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 part of my brain or part of my humanity may be saying is invitation is not an invitation. We talked about this before too with with the vulnerability and talk. You know, people people can say, I know. I know I want the attention that comes from an invitation to intimacy, so I'm going to dress like like this is an invitation, even though I know it's not. We can say things. We can invite people into our own, look, I'm a broken person, feel sorry for me, love me, take care of me. All of that can also be a false invitation. you know. And, and if we don't understand that, we don't love enough to do that, then people are going to perceive it as an invitation when it's not. Or it's the situation that you were describing of the partial invitation that's taken mm-hmm. to be an invitation into the fullness. Like Absolutely. it is an invitation of some kind, right? Yeah. Like when someone is dressed that way, there is an invitation to a kind of intimacy. Um, yes. It's not. It's not necessarily the full invitation. I mean, sometimes it is, right? Like sometimes um, someone dresses that way with the intention of making a full invitation. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But but more often, like, there's the partial invitation um, that some then take to be the full invitation um, into a sexual intimacy that's not necessarily being asked for. 
So like this is the process of dating. So you say, okay, we start off by I'm 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 inviting you into the intimacy of an hour of my time mm-hmm. over the phone. Then I'm going to invite you into the intimacy of a date that lasts three hours. You're, you're I'm I'm giving you my time, and then and then to hand holding that intimacy, and then to kissing that intimacy, and like there, there's there's a further, and then like I'm going to share with you more of my life. You know my favorite color, how I take my coffee. Then you know what my job is. Then you know what I spend my time doing. Then you know my fears and then you know my joys. And you, you start mm-hmm. knowing the, this greater intimacy. Um, whereas we live in an age of hookup apps where, where, where you know, the, the, the physical and the sexual is seen as the beginning mm-hmm. of intimacy. That's kind of the test of do I want to do this or it's not even considered. You know? um, this, this, is the, this is the devil taking something beautiful, like every aspect of what we're talking about, time, our physical bodies, all of that, and even the aspect of invitation itself, and and is twisting that into into making it evil. So, the I think one of the proper responses, as as I told the boys and the dads, one of the proper responses is to make sure that we are very thankful, and it almost always begins with Thanksgiving. We are very thankful for the ways that Christ has already invited us into intimacy. Like we don't, because what we can say is like, well, God is taking the, he's not letting me have these intimacies. What a mean God with this teachings to the church so that I cannot have the intimacy I want. Like little one, our God has invited you into the greatest intimacies. So be thankful for those, remember those, recall those to mind. Every day we say, Lord, what intimacies have you already given me with mm. the people in my life, with you? And, and of course, the greatest one is the Eucharist, which means thanksgiving, right? So so the, the God has given himself completely in the Holy Eucharist. There's a vulnerability there. When people get mad, why can't I receive the Eucharist? I, I have to be Catholic to do it, yes. Yes, you have to be in communion because that's the greatest intimacy that God gives. And even though God gives himself completely all the time, we don't appreciate it unless we go through the process of these smaller intimacies and, and, and through, through prayer, et cetera, like this, so that we can appreciate it. If, we, if you get the Eucharist just because you want it and you're not actually a believer, then, then you're like Adam and Eve grasping at this greatest embassy that you're not ready for yet. You don't know what it is. You don't appreciate it enough. And you're not receiving it in the context of community, which is where even sex finds it, it, the greatest context in community, lifelong mm-hmm. community that's open to children and, and uh, the further bonding. So there's, there's this, we start with Thanksgiving. And I was thinking what, what inspired me earlier, Mother, as you were talking, you were talking about Fotina, our nonprofit. And, and just like, we, we are so thankful that, that you patrons have allowed us to give to the poor extravagantly, like we talked about last time. And so, but, but yes, thank you patrons and thank you listeners. But also you and I, mother, would not be able to do this without our vocations. Mm-hmm. And so thank you for those who saw a vocation in us. Thank you for those who encouraged us the vocations. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for calling us to these things. So before we say we could be extravagant in the future, we need to receive, as you talked about last time, mother, God's extravagance. And even my vocation as a priest and as a celibate, your vocation as a, as a nun, um, as a member of Christ the bridegroom, like these are all extravagances of God that we need to be thankful for. And that we start to see the ways we can be, be extravagant in the same ways. And so whatever level of intimacy you're at and invitation you've received from other people in your life, you know, as far as like romantic partners and, and friends and parishioners and whatever, like when we say 
thank you to them for those levels of intimacy. Thank you to God for inviting us into that. Then we can say, okay, now I can perceive that there is a greater intimacy I want, I desire, but I need to see it. So like, for instance, um, whenever I have these moments of how nice it would it be? How nice would it be to be married? To have someone that loves me most, that I love most, share a life. Like there, if I just reject that out of my mind and say, "Oh, that's no, no, horrible. That's going to lead to depression." Father Michael, no. I say, "Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. Marriage is such a beautiful thing. Having someone that loves you most, you love the most, is a beautiful thing. It's just not for me." But I can still thank God for that reality. I can thank God for something so beautiful. I wasn't, I wasn't attracted to something evil. I was attracted to something beautiful and good. Thank you, Lord, for making me attracted to something good. And and yet, then I need to say that's not for me. If I see someone that's beautiful, look at that beautiful woman. Oh my gosh, Lord, she's so beautiful. But but there's a level of intimacy and invitation that I need to make sure that I stop at and I say, mm-hmm. thank you, Lord, for the level of, of intimacy I do have. But now there's a deeper level of intimacy that part of me may be saying, ooh, I want to become best friends with her. I want to go out on a date with whatever. And I just say, nope, not for me. That's for somebody else. And they're going to be, hopefully they appreciate what they have, you know. I think that um, I really like that concept of um, that the Lord is inviting us into an intimacy with Him and that this is the greatest intimacy because I think that's helpful context in um, when we are saying no to things. Like I've talked on the podcast before, and this is kind of what you're saying, Father Michael, right now, of um, our response is never primarily a no um, we're, we're primarily giving a yes. And then there are no's that consequently come following that yes. Um, so similarly, you know, what I'm, I'm thinking is like, if you have, um, a close intimate friend who asks to have, um, some time with you for coffee. And so the two of you go out for coffee, um, and you're in this intimate conversation with this close friend, um, Let's say another friend starts texting you while you're at this like coffee time with your friend, you know, Um, like that text is an invitation to intimacy. And that text is probably like maybe even a good Mm -hmm. invitation to intimacy, Mm -hmm. but to engage in that invitation in this moment Mm -hmm. is a direct attack on the intimacy with the friend with whom you're having coffee, you know? Um, And so similarly, it's like, when we are grasping for those gifts, like the like the premarital sex that you talked about, like um, to grasp at that outside of the context in which God gives it to is an attack on our intimacy with God. And so like the primary invitation is intimacy with Him. And because of this desire for intimacy with Him primarily, we're going to say no to the things that don't... Um, feed that and that don't draw us into a deeper intimacy with him. Um, and which like those things in the right context um, would like, yeah. So I don't know. I really like that. Yeah. Amen. This feels like a, a podcast with two very different topics, but I, in my mind, yeah. they were, they were <laughs> alive in Christ. And well, anyways, that's okay. Yeah. But was, I, I do think it, it was like your own mini topic that you suggested to there yourself. <laughs> Now I'm going to look at the list if anybody asked anything about it. Like, okay, we did a mini topic. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, but that's okay. Um, before we, before you do the spiel, can I just name five of our patrons to give them a uh, shout out? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. So um, 
These are the people who support us on Patreon. We have Amanda N. from Georgia. Sarah S. Thank you, Amanda. Sarah S. from Wisconsin. Thanks, Sarah. Gretchen B. from Oregon. Thank you, Gretchen. <laughs> Sam L. from Tennessee. I'm trying to say Sam with a Tennessee accent. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> and, and Chris N. from Ohio. Thank you, Chris. Which is fun because I won't say who they are, but two of those five are siblings. So that's one. I know them both. But Oh, nice. Yeah. So, cool. Nice. Thank you both for supporting. All right. Um, before we do prayer intentions, uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you felt anything was worth sharing and uh, working with the Spirit in that way, uh, we, you can find us on all the platforms Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever else you, you listen. We also have a website um, you can find us on, and that is whatgodisnot.com. Uh, if you want to contact us, we are on, we have an email address, whatgodisnotpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we are on all the social media streams, or at least not all of them, I guess, but Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. I'm at Potter Michael O. You can find the other ones at What God Is Not. We're on YouTube, audio only. We have a Goodreads page where you can see what we're reading and we can see what you're reading and our media team manages that very, very well. Thank you, media team. Uh, we have a nonprofit called Fotina, P-H-O-T-I-N-A. Add an org to that and you have our website. Um, you can contribute to that there or you can go to our Patreon page, which is our most people um support our ministry. That is uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And then there's various tiers of monthly giving and, and various benefits you have for each of those tiers that we are continually um, adding to. So keep an eye out for that and uh, check that out. And then I think that's it. There's the Tennessee right there. Um, <laughs> so my, I was like, wait for it to load, wait until load. Well, there it is. There's Tennessee. Okay. Um, I'm not good at accents at all. Um, so prayer intentions. I am very excited to hang out with one of my local priest friends who I have not seen in forever because he was sent to Rome to study, but he's back for the summer. I'm going to see him tonight. Um, so please pray for Father Brian Humphrey. Um, who will be? Uh, and yeah, actually, Father with Dave, him one time. Yes, exactly. And Father Father Dave Pavanka, the president of Steubenville, is coming out tonight too, and we're all going to hang out, and uh, it's going to be amazing. So, um, Father Brian, uh, give Father is, Dave our love. Will absolutely, I will. And as for Father Brian, is just I, I'm like this guy within a, with he's a priest of the Archdiocese of L.A. So I really hope that he and I are, are able to have a real priestly fraternity and community going forward. So please pray for that, whatever our Lord wills for that, as well as some other priests, Father Michael Masteller, and some others that we hope to include in that as well. So thank you. I will ask for prayers for the newlyweds, David and Taryn Bratnick, by the time this comes out. They are getting to married tomorrow as we record, David Bratnick and Taryn Dennis. Um, so um, affectionately called by me, Bratnicky and Tear Bear. And so if you can <laughs> pray for the two of them. Darren or David. Uh, doesn't work. Well, maybe David, their first names. No, it's a Hollywood like, thing, mother. You wouldn't understand. They they combine first names to one person when they. That when was they a thing them. even before I entered, like with um, Jennifer Aniston and Ben yeah, Affleck. Exactly. Is That's that true? That was in the nineties. Benifer. Benifer. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> I I know things. All righty. 
Love you, mother. Love you too. Thanks Thank for, you for the time. Not all six of your topics that you did today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Very welcome. It's good, uh, good to be with you. Can you give us a blessing, please? Of course, may Lord bless you and keep you. Cause His face to shine upon you. Have mercy on you. May our Lord give you guidance in the ways that He's inviting you to be a leader, in the way that He's inviting you to be a follower of Him and others. May He, those of you that are parents, may He continually inspire you to uh, give your children examples that also um, allow them to go closer to our Lord and also build their own leadership skills in whatever way he may desire. May our Lord um, give you a a gracious heart, a heart of thanksgiving for all the ways that he has been extravagant, um, especially in the ways of his invitation to union with him. May you be prevented from any attacks of the devil who tries to manipulate and mangle and mutate that to become something that separates us from God, you and your children and your friends. May we pray for each other in the ways of, of chastity and invitation. May we always be thankful for all that God has given us and use that as the beginning of, of a pure and chaste life. May our Lord allow all of these to build up good habits and therefore virtue and therefore faith and therefore holiness and therefore union with him. I will give you all these things, even the salvation of your soul in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.